Thank you, ladies, for that. That was wonderful. It's time for the reading of God's Word. Uh, if you'll uh, take your Bible, we'll be looking in Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 17. You can also follow along on the screen as well, as well as there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. If we'll all stand at this time, those who are able, Exodus chapter 33 and verses 12 through 17. Exodus 33, 12 through 17. God's word says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For when shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? It is not in that thou goest with us, so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. The last part of that, <coughs> that verse that appears up there. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. If I could paraphrase that, I'm going to give it a very simple title, and that is making a difference in your life. Because it, at the, there's, really, uh, there's really two classes of people. Everybody makes something. We either make an excuse or we make a difference. We often make excuses because of circumstances, and then our choices turn into consequences. And so we, we say, well, this happened because of this. Locke can say he lost his family because of the terrible surroundings, but Lot picked that. That was, his, that was his choosing. Cain can say, there was a terrible mark on me, so much so that he told God, hey, people are going to try to get me now because of this. That was not a circumstance. That was a consequence. And so we have to choose whether or not we want to make an excuse or make a difference. Making a difference with your life. There's several things, and I'm going I'm to run through this because I know we, we, we have dessert tonight, and, and uh, I don't want to belabor the time that we have, but I've just got 27 quick points. <laughs> just seeing if you're listening. We didn't pray yet, did we? Let's pray. Lord, please help us. Lord, we ask for your direction, your guidance with our words, our thoughts. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. What a, what a good place to be. And uh, Lord, help us to not take that for granted. Speak to our hearts as only you can. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And the first thing that we notice is faith. You see, because without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please Him. You can't please God with anything else. You'll never please God with your talent. He's not amused. He's not enthralled by it. In fact, he understands he's the one who gave it to you. Sometimes we, 
we think, well, boy, I, I'm so wowed and awed and impressed by somebody's ability to throw a ball through a hoop. God's not. It, it doesn't move him. I've said it before. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll read about an athlete and the, the author or the, the writer of the article will make mention and say, this person was destined for this. They were created for this. But the truth of the matter is nobody was ever created to throw a ball through a hoop. Now, I'm not minimizing the great work and effort and energy that goes into it. I, was, I marveled at the game the other night, Damian Lillard hitting that 37-foot shot, in case you didn't see it. I've seen it about 25 times. It's just staggering, the confidence. But I, but I noticed this. They, they asked him in uh, – I, I watched several interviews that he had after the game, and one of the things he said was he was working on that last summer. Because and, and nobody sees you in the gym working and sweating and, and running and, and guarding your diet and working your exercises. They see this, the 37-footer in the closing seconds of an NBA playoff game. They, that's why sometimes it's been said greatness is in the preparation, not in the performance. A person will sit up here and uh, these, these young ladies that uh, played the instruments here moments ago, we listened to about three minutes and so seconds, I would say, of a song that many of them have been practicing and preparing for that moment for years. And so we, we have to understand that. But God says faith is where it starts. And so you have to have faith to understand there are uh, several components. I'm going to look at a couple of verses very, very quickly on the screen there in front of you, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Notice, what do they profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. You see, God says, you believe it, prove it. A lot of people say, I believe in God. They never venture to His house. And I'm not picking on anyone tonight. Obviously, you're here. And we started a series that I thought was going to be two weeks this morning, but since we only got the intro and just started on the first point, it may be longer than two weeks. And I would encourage you to come back next Sunday morning if you're able. Uh, it's, I think it's a very important study. But nonetheless, someone, if the average person, though the number has dropped dramatically in recent years, when I, when I was born, America was largely considered by the overwhelming percentages to be a solid Christian nation, and most people profess a belief in God. The largest percentage of people profess, not only do I believe in God, but I demonstrate it by going to church. Today, that number has changed dramatically. And one of the smallest uh, cross-sections of demographics of people who express a belief in God and a belief that leads to action is the crowd we recognize tonight. That's why it's so encouraging to me that you young people have been here faithfully many times Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for, for months and even years. Because in, in your demographic, that's not the norm. Even to somebody that attends a college or university that boasts themselves of a Christian heritage, it doesn't matter because people make the choices they do. But what God says about our faith, He says, you can't please me without it. And if you indeed do have faith, there'll be evidence to substantiate it. And so understand that that faith is recognized in several things. First of all, in salvation. you got to be saved. You must be born again. You say, why would you say that? Because you must be born again. 
It's not something that I would ever want to belabor the point. But how would you be belaboring the most important thing in all of life? You've got to be saved. You say, well, pastor, everybody here that's here tonight on a Sunday night undoubtedly is a Christian. I'd never take that for granted. I'd never make that statement. Jesus said, I've always used this simply because I think the Lord used it as a clear illustration. Have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil? And none of the other 11 had a clue who it was. So much so they doubted themselves. Listen, if, if John and Luke and Matthew and Mark could doubt themselves more than Judas Iscariot, with whom they ran for three and a half years, then I think it's a message that needs to be continually preached and a constant reminder to us. Jesus said, I chose 12, one of you is the devil, and none of you have a clue who it is. Why? Because you must be born again. You're not going to make it because of the faith of somebody else, because of the faith of your parents, because of the fact that you've had some attendance, because of the fact that you put money in the offering, because of the fact you've been baptized. All those things are good and valid and important, but they won't get you into heaven. You must be born again. So what does faith do? First of all, it produces salvation. Secondly, it produces surrender. And that is, you realize, as we said this morning, what is your life? It is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Then you also realize with that surrender, it's not my life. My life has been bought with a price. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And so faith produces salvation. Faith produces surrender. And then thirdly, faith produces service because it compels us to action. You, by coming back to a service on a Sunday night, you are taking your faith, if you will, to another level. A lot, and I'm not faulting anybody. Everybody has different schedules, and I'm, I, I don't know anybody's reasons for not being here on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night. I don't, I don't get into that. That's, that's between them and God. But I do know this. When you decide, I'm going to come back for more than one service, you are taking your faith in a demonstrative way to a different level. Because that's not where most of Christianity is. Most of Christianity is very casual in their faith. They want God. They want His influence. They want His involvement. They want His help. They want His assistance. We all do. We want God's favor. We, we beseech it. We ask for it. But taking it to another level brings salvation, firstly, Surrender, secondly, and then thirdly, service. Because then you say, I I don't want to just get from God, I want to give. I I don't want to just be someone who is a taker, I want to be a producer. I want to to contribute. Um, Not everybody can lead uh, songs like Evan did so well tonight. Not everybody can do that. But, uh, and, and many of us will sit there and be blessed and challenged and encouraged But it's a different level that says, what can I do? Not everybody can work the camera up there as Alex is doing. And I'm I'm just trying to make sure he's staying awake. And that's the reason I walk back and forth. Some of you are wondering, what what are you doing? I look up there. Anytime I see those guys looking down like this, I say, I've got to move. Um, And so uh, make sure they're paying attention. And he is. I'm only teasing. But my my point is, uh, uh, tonight there will be some ladies out there who will serve desserts. Uh, Someone went through the, the, the work and effort to make those and prepare those today. Uh, today, someone uh, came in here and made sure things were straight and picked up some trash and cleaned up the counter and all those things happened. Someone yesterday showed up and uh, threw some paint on the wall and vacuumed and uh, we had children in here wiping down uh, uh, the, 
the baseboards and we had uh, folks in here wiping down these chairs and, and, and all of that stuff is somebody saying, my, my faith is, uh, it, it's taken me to a different level. And yes, I'm saved. And yes, I realize that I have but one life and it's for him. But then I also realize there comes a point where that faith that has brought me to salvation, to surrender, now compels me to serve. The Lord said it was, he that is greatest among you, let him be your servant. Isaac Newton and James Maxwell were said to have been the two most motivating or contributing figures in Albert Einstein's life. In fact, in his study, he had their pictures hung side by side. And for a good portion of his life, they were there. Um, Maxwell, I think a lot of his, uh, he worked with radiation and electromagnetism and those type of things. And some of you students over here could tell me far more than that than I'm familiar with anyway, because that's a little bit out of my arena. And of course, we know about Einstein and, uh, and we, know about, uh, we know about Newton. Einstein, when he was introduced at Oxford University, said, he was introduced and said that, uh, in fact, the statement was said that he stands on the shoulders of Newton. And he said, no, sir. He said, I beg to differ. I stand on the shoulders of Maxwell, who died as a young man, only in his 40s, battling cancer. But nonetheless, later in life, Albert Einstein removed the two pictures. In the closing years of his life, he took them down and he put up two other figures. Those two figures were Albert Schweitzer and Mahatma Gandhi. And uh, Albert Schweitzer, he and his wife traveled to Africa, established orphanages. Some of you are familiar with, with his story, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into all of that. But and then Mahatma Gandhi, of course, who was influential in a lot of respects, bringing India uh, and its British rule to their knees with uh, pacifism and different teachings. And, I, and again, I'm not celebrating those two figures, but I will say this. The statement that Einstein made about them was he said he removed the two figures of of uh, Newton and Maxwell because they represented success in science. And he put up the last two, Gandhi and Schweitzer, because they recommend that because they, they, they depicted the most important thing, and that was service. So even in his closing years of his life, Einstein, who was a genius by every measure, one of the most influential men in all of human history, he recognized that it's not success, it's not science, it is a person who feels compelled to serve. So if I can say something to these young people who are graduating and then to all of us, make sure that our faith brings us salvation, surrender, and then service. Then secondly, and I hasten through this, our friends, our friends, you make a difference with your life by the friends you have. The Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twenty, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. You will make a difference or make an excuse by the crowd you choose with whom to run. Make no mistake about it. I don't, uh, I, I, I don't stand here as somebody that's achieved any measure of success anyway. But if anything has been true in, in my life, it is knowing when to run from the wrong crowd. I can, I can tell you story after story after story. One of the earliest instances was my mom and dad telling me to stay away from a guy who lived up the street from me. I played ball with him every single day for years. Got on the bus. I was the first one on the bus. We lived the farthest out from the school on a gravel road. I'd get on the bus. The next stop was his. And I remember my mom and dad both told me, stay away from that boy, he's trouble. Stay away from that boy, he's trouble. 
I went off to, we separated about ninth grade year. I'd been in school with him sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, continued all through high school, but after the ninth grade, we didn't sit together on the bus. I stayed as far away from him as I could. I went off to Bible college. I'm no trophy. It's no testament to me, but he went off to federal prison, served a 20-year sentence for unbelievable crimes, crimes that were so violent that I couldn't even speak of them today in this crowd. Unbelievable. He did them while he, he and three other men while they were strung out on drugs and alcohol. But he was a guy that I knew that I ran with. He was my buddy. He was a guy that in a lot of respects I looked up to. He was stronger. He was faster. He was a better athlete. He was a handsome guy. He had everything going for him. What happened? I'll tell you what my dad said. Stay away from that guy. He's trouble. I'm going to tell you young people here right now, one of the differences between you now and 10 years, I said it earlier, you'll be no different except for two things, the books you read and the people you meet. And you mark it down. Watch the crowd that pulls you away from your faith. Watch the crowd that pulls you away from the things of God. Watch the crowd that leads you into a path of unrighteousness. Everybody's got a Jonah dab, but not everybody has to listen. The Bible says that Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. The Bible describes him as a subtle man, the same word that is used to describe the devil in the garden. And he brought a temptation to the way of a young man that caused a a despicable sin, and it brought heartache and disappointment, just one domino result after another. And so listen to me when I tell you this, you choose your friends wisely. That's why, hey, listen, young people, that's why when your mom and dad ask you who's going to be there, you better own up, fess up, and tell up. Let them know exactly who's going to be there. You say, why? They don't like this particular one. There's good reason, and there's plenty of history and plenty of, plenty of people they could point out as illustrations to tell you why when mom or dad or a, an authority or grandparent, an aunt or an uncle who, who has been down the road a little further than you have, and they say, watch that guy, he's trouble, don't argue, and don't say, oh, you don't know him, because chances are they know him better than you do. Now, you listen to me. When I'm telling you that, be very, very careful about your friends. Very careful. Choose them wisely. Choose your friends wisely. You choose who you're following. I have a message I preached. I haven't preached it here, I don't believe. I haven't preached it in years. The title of the message is, Who's Riding With You? And in that particular message, the Bible, it's from John chapter 6. Um, I preached a series of sermons from that passage. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, but right, at, right after that, you find uh, Jesus, um, there's the storm, and the disciples are terrified. And in one moment, they, invite, they bring Jesus steps on board the ship. And then not only does the storm cease, immediately they're dry ground, they're at the land. I mean, it's a, it's a miraculous. The storm's gone, and boom, they're off the sea and at, at the coast right there, instantaneous. But the difference was they let Jesus get on board in their life. I'm going to tell you this. When it comes to your following, who's riding with you? When it comes to your fellowship, where are you going? My dad used to ask us this, where are you boys going? He always asked, where are you, where are you going? Where are you going? Who's going to be there? What time will you be home? This is back before the days of cell phones. I remember one time I was with uh, Tony Renee, and uh, we went, it was 4th of July, and uh, I don't usually say Tony Renee, do I? But anyway, Tony Renee, that's her middle name, nonetheless, not another Tony, just in case you're wondering. Um, and we went, I, I said it's 4th of July, there was a big uh, uh, carnival in town, and, and uh, I, I think I, I was in college and she, she was as well, but her brother was with us, and I knew the fireworks started late. I think they were like 1030, but there was a huge thunderstorm, so they delayed the fireworks. And I was trying to think, I, I told him 
that she would be home at 11 o'clock. And you did not mess up. I mean, when it, when it came time, to, somebody think, 11 o'clock? This is back in the old days, okay? You know, stagecoach and all that kind of stuff. Horse and buggy. Um, but uh, but I, I knew that, that it was, it, was, it was going to be tough to be able to make it. I think the fireworks were supposed to start at dark, which was about 9.50, something like that. Terrible thunderstorm, delayed it. And so I'm asking around, are they still going to have it? Are they still going to have it? And you know how it is when you're dating. I want to stay out as late as we possibly can anyway. And I knew that if I got there after 11, I could not say, well, it was raining. I didn't think you'd mind, you know, because, you know, that sound um, reverberates. And, you know, that'd be a cool ringtone, wouldn't it? You know, just all of a sudden you're standing at the checkout and, uh, that would be bad. You're at Chase. I'd like to make a deposit. Uh, better not. But anyway, uh, see, I told you, a lot of stuff happens up here. Most of the time, I'm able to filter it. But so I, I literally had to get in my car, leave the parking, and try to go find a payphone. A payphone, again. I'm, I, some of you have no idea what the, that is. It was this, this, this device, and usually it was in a box, and you went into it, closed the door, out, you came Superman. But um, anyway, you went, some of you don't even know what that is either. Okay, uh, but you went in there and you deposited a quarter and you got to call. I remember when it was a dime, though. You put a dime in. You put a dime and you could call anywhere in America, and you would you would pick up the phone, make the call, and uh, then they a sweet lady would come on the other end and uh, she spoke English. Hallelujah! Back in those days, and uh, some of you'll get that later. That's okay too. But uh, um, you, you, she would say, "Please deposit." Some of you are laughing. Some of you are scowling. That's okay. It's all good. You don't pay much. You don't. Get get much, but uh, I didn't get a nap, so that's the problem here, okay, and so they'd say, you need to deposit an extra however much it was for this particular phone call or whatever, so I drove to a pay phone, got in there, shut the door, put the money in, called, and I said, hey, there's been a, uh, you know, we had a terrible thunderstorm, and so they delayed the fireworks, can we stay for the fireworks, if we stay for the fireworks, I probably won't be home, and I think it was like 1145 or something like that, long pause, no, I, I, I didn't know what was happening, but I remember asking, and there really was that long pause. And I'm thinking, come on, it's a simple question. Of course, now in my age, with my own daughters, I understand how big a deal that is. And so I, I hear my mother-in-law in the background, you know, she's, she's uh, being, you know, the, my mediator. And I'm thinking, listen to her, listen to her, you know. But, and he let us stay. But, you know, at, at that moment, I realized, you know, hey, boy, I was thankful for the opportunity to get to stay a little later, but I know this when it came to my dad, boy. He wanted to know where we were, when we were going to be back, and who all was going to be there because there was no texting. There was no calling, picking up and sending a message later, and they weren't going to find out later by the selfie that you took because there were no selfie sticks back in those days or whatever. So your faith, first of all. Secondly, your friends, and I've really got to hustle, and I really got to turn the filter on here to be, be careful. Thirdly, your family, our faith, our friends, and our family. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I found over the years that many times my spiritual family has been as great, if not greater, source of help and comfort than my own physical family. I mean, let's be honest, I see you all much more than I ever see any of my siblings. My parents, as you know, have passed away this, this past year or so. But I see you all every Sunday, and I delight in it. I'm glad to see you. When you're not here, I miss you. This, this is the family, and there's something about the family of God. 
And God said that. And when he, when he said, hey, let's make church, it was a good idea. The Bible references it as the church in the wilderness. But the Lord said, um, let us not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. One of the best things in life is church. And so I'm going to tell you, don't miss the family of God. Romans 8, 14, uh, continue, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, it's, a, it's amazing because you can come in here, and it doesn't matter where you're from, whatever part of the country you, you lived in prior, and you show up here at Timberline Baptist Church, and you say, I want to be part of this family, and guess what? You're in. I mean, all things considered, you understand. I know, obviously, there's some things that you have to believe. You have to trust in Christ as your Savior, been scripturally baptized in deep water. We understand all of that. But, but, but really, you say, this is me. I belong. I fit. This is my family. And I encourage you young people, whether you stay here or not, though I've already told you, God told me, all of you should stay. But whether you stay here or not, I want to tell you this. Find a place. Get in. Get involved. Get engaged. And be part of a local New Testament church that preaches the gospel. Be active and be involved. Let me say this fourthly. Our Father. The Bible reminds us in John chapter number 8, you of your father the devil, lest of your father you will do. He is a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Let me remind you of this as I, I draw to a close here, and that is make sure you let God, your father, call the shots. He's reminding us here in the Gospel of John chapter number 8 you're just like your father. We use the expression sometimes to chip off the old block. And that's exactly what he says here. And so when it comes to calling the shots, let God make the decisions in your life and there won't be any bad ones. Did you know that? I've made some bad decisions. I was talking with someone recently. If I could, if I could go back, there are a few things I would, have, I would have fixed. None of them necessarily spiritual decisions, but some bad choices I made, some some bad uh, decisions maybe that affected finances and different things. And if I could go back and flip them, I'd like to do that. But I will say this, God never led me to make a bad one. When I followed him, they all turned out good. They all turned out well. And you'll find that to be true in your life. So when he says, you're of your father the devil, his works you will do. It is a great compliment when someone says to me today, boy, you're just like your father. I have been with some of my family sometimes, and they'll say, boy, that sounds like something your dad would say. My dad's sisters, who are yet alive, have said that to me on a couple of occasions in a, in a kind way, in a complimentary way. Sometimes my wife, who, who knew my dad very well, my dad loved my wife, and he told me many times, he said, boy, you sure married up, and I said, yes, I know, Dad. But my, my wife will sometimes say, That's something your dad would have said. I'm never hurt by that. I'm always helped when I hear that. And when people look at you in your life and in the years to come, particularly you college students, but each and every one of us every day, who would they say we act more like? Our heavenly father or the world's father? And there's a stark contrast. And then lastly, and I I did not put this in the notes necessarily, but 
it, it is alliterated. And so in making a difference in your life, there, are, there is faith, there is friends, there is family, and there is Father. And then lastly, finish. Finish. I, I'm 56, and man, it's, it's, it's something to even say that because I was, I was sitting at a college graduation for my bachelor's degree uh, 35 years ago. Wow. 35 years ago. And then the following year for my master's degree. And it seems like, man, it seems like it was just a moment ago. And think about how quickly that, that time has flown. But I, I know this at, at, at my point in life. The one thing that I want to do is I want to finish well. Finish well. Winston Churchill uh, attended a school that was called the Harrow School. And uh, he did so poorly in class that he, they were considering expulsion for him. He spent three years taking eighth grade English because he struggled so much with his speech. Amazing story, to be sure. But not only was he, was he, uh, did he graduate and go on to become the prime minister of England late in life, much to the chagrin at the time of many people, but proved to be prominent and influential in the salvation, really, of England in the Second World War. But he was invited back to the Harrow School and then also gave a very similar speech at Oxford's commencement address. For a guy who struggled with education and struggled with academics, and his commencement address, he arrived as he always did with signature items, his top hat, his cane, and a cigar. And he stepped to the podium to deliver his commencement address, and he held on tightly to the cigar, set the top hat on the podium, and nestled the cane against the side of the podium, and simply said, never give up. And he paused for a moment, and the crowd was stone and silent. And he turned into the microphone and once more said, never give up. He picked up his hat, his cane, and stepped off the platform. That was his commencement address. Some of you wish I'd preach that way. If you listen like that, I'd preach like that. My, my strong counsel to you, don't ever give up. Whatever consumes your thought every day, don't ever run from it. Don't ever relinquish it. Go after it with everything that is in you, provided it is godly and righteous. The same thing applies to each and every one of us. There's a lot of times in life when you just want to throw in the towel. You want to throw in the towel on things. You want to throw in the towel on an idea. Maybe one of you young people, God's going to have you do something incredible in life, and you, you've thought about it, and there's so many hurdles and so many obstacles and so much time, and you have had reservation about it. No, no, no. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Some of us at various stages in life, we feel like quitting, quitting on life quitting on someone that's disappointed us, quitting on every opportunity that we've had. But I would encourage you tonight, don't make excuses. Don't yield to circumstances. Don't shrug off consequences. 
but purpose in your heart, you want to make a difference, not an excuse. Shall we stand? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we'll have a regular opportunity for invitation. If